Okay, so our reading, as I say, is from Judges 2, verses 6 to 23. And it reads as this. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance, at Tinmath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreth. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges, who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors, who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshipping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. We want to be a church in which God moves as we witness (coughs) through word-based oneness. And the Lord will move when we are sufficiently distressed. I suggest if that passage applies to us, and I think it does apply to us, not an absolute parallel, but it does apply to us, then the Lord will move, I think, when we are sufficiently distressed. Did you notice in that passage, why did the Lord move? Because he looked down at his people and he saw they were distressed.
And we're not distressed. Quite comfortable. Quite happy most of the time. I want to be a church in which God moves, a church in which supernatural things happen. They will happen when we're sufficiently distressed. Uh, <laughs> came out this morning. Uh, I have prepared a sermon. Um, you, you'd be glad to know. Um, it's been a really, it's been an interesting few weeks where I don't know, just people come up to me and, and tell me, I th- you know, I hear the Lord. The Lord's doing something. Um, you, you know, the, the, the Lord is, is speaking. Um, and I sense that to some extent in the preparation, you think, gosh, this is the Lord's word for us um, at, at this moment in time. Isn't that a really precious thing? Um, when, the, when the Lord speaks to us, comes upon us, you know, by his word uh, and, and speaks to us. And what I was going to say to you this morning was, uh, I've prepared a bunch of stuff and I sense that the Lord wants to speak to us, but I don't know through which bit. Um, but actually, I think the Lord has spoken. I think that maybe is what the Lord's saying to us, actually, through that reading in Judges. Um, that he, he will move, he wants to move, but actually we're not sufficiently distressed yet. Anyway, I'm going to pick up what I was going to say, um, and let's see, let's see which bits apply and where we're going to take it through. So we want to be a church in which God moves, so we witness through word-based oneness. We, we said this uh, last time, it's now two weeks ago, could have said growing maturity community and, and ministry, that's, that's quite nice as well, but it's not really snappy, it's not very exciting. It misses this thing about we want to see God move, we want God to do supernatural things um, in our midst, and it misses the interconnection of, of four elements. I won't go back over that again, but you, you can't have community without maturity, you can't have maturity without uh, community, you can't have ministry, you can't have witness without uh, community and maturity. Um, all those things, all those four things um, come together, uh, increase together and decrease together. Why this has kind of come on me, hasn't it, in the last few months? <laughs> Today I want to talk about being a church in which God moves. And I think it's worth noting that to our eyes, God moves. As we look at history, it seems that God moves in, in waves. There's a, there's a work of God's Holy Spirit. And then it seems to, in, in some way, kind of die off. Sometimes call that revival. You can look back at the, the, the history of, of revivals. Why does God seem to work in waves? Well, it's not that God works in waves. It is because, it is because his people go round in circles. God appears to us in waves because we, his people, go round in circles. And it's a clear biblical pattern. And, and it was there in the book of Judges. They go round and round in, in circles. And it is not that the Lord is inconstant or unpredictable. It is we who are inconstant and unpredictable, and we go around in circles. So there it is in Judges. Um, God's people slide away, you know, by one generation, or after just simply a a number of years, after a very short time, within living memory of of seeing um, the the river... stop flowing, um, the people slide away. And it says, uh, we read it and Sam read it to us, that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord. They forgot the serve him 
only, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, serve him only. And then what happens is the Lord allows him to be defeated. In fact, the implication of that reading goes stronger than that, isn't it? It's that the Lord actually defeats them um, through their enemies. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. The hand of the Lord was against them to, to, de- to defeat them, just as he had sworn them, as, as he had promised. And then the people were in distress. And I suppose I've been wrestling with this text, and I haven't done gone back through the whole of the book of Judges. It, from memory, I think there were, there were periods where the people cried out to the Lord, and, and there, there were occasions when they didn't. They were just in distress. And the Lord sees them in in distress and, and response. And, and he acts, and what he did in the book of Judges was, was he provided um, supernaturally empowered leaders. They were an interesting bunch. Um, Gideon is a, is a kind of... Um, uh, is, is timid. Um, Samson's... Well, Samson's just... Samson. He's kind of a... He's, he's a bit... Well, I don't know what you'd call him. Uh, he's a bit of a sex maniac. Um, he's... Uh, but the Lord, the Spirit comes upon him and the Lord uses these people to, 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 to rescue his nation. And as we said, with the kids, the Lord has done a much greater rescue for us. And Jesus is like those judges, like those superheroes, because he is the Spirit-empowered man, the man upon whom the Spirit has come. Uh, but then he wins victory, not by uh, a direct defeat of God's enemies, but he defeats God's enemies by dying on the cross. And so that enemy who is, is Satan and, and sin is is defeated because no condemnation sticks to us anymore. So when you enter into a relationship with God by trusting in Christ, that, that's done for. That's a safe, uh, secure, un, un, unbreakable relationship. You know that. But nevertheless, a similar pattern kind of, I think, works out in church history. Period of revival, followed by a period where revival seems to die back and die away. And then for whatever reason, the people cry out, or the Lord just sovereignly decides he's had enough, or there are people you don't know about um, praying in, in strange you know, corners of the country. Revivals come in some very odd places. Um, or just the Lord sees his people in distress, and, and he moves, and he works, and, and, and something new comes. And gospel fruit is, is renewed. In other words, um, people are saved. Uh, people come to Christ for the first time. And people are single-minded. Um, people come back and they serve him only. What do we need to do? If that's the case, that it's not that God moves in ways. It's that we go around in circles. What do we need to do? We need to recognise where we are in the cycle. So there's there's the little Mobius strip, and if it um, it's got a join that's stuck together with Pritstig, okay, which which tells you where to start and where you are in the cycle. But part of the problem is don't, we don't recognise where we are in the cycle, um, and we're in the part of the cycle where we're being defeated um, by our enemies. Uh, in, the, in the battle for saving souls, we're, we're, we're being defeated. 
um, in the battle for personal godliness so often. You know, real serve him only kind of zeal for the Lord. And we're being defeated. What do we need to do? So you just respond with impassioned prayer. Be distressed, I guess. Is, is, perhaps that's the thing we're going to need to take out this morning. Be distressed. Because we're being, we're being defeated. And you can tell that we don't understand that. And, and you can tell uh, that we're not distressed by the fact that we don't pray. And I'm not saying people don't pray at all. I know people have prayer lives. I know people pray in, pray in home groups. But there's maybe three or four come to a, a prayer meeting for, for evangelism. We're not distressed. We pray. Prayer works like this. We, we pray about the things that, we, um, that concern us most. And that's just natural. We, we pray about the things that concern us most. And, and, we, and we pray about the things that we think we cannot manage ourselves. So most of the time, we only really pray. We only really pray in passion prayer if we've come across something that bothers us and we think we can't manage it on our own. So actually, we need to recognize the fact that we've, we've got to a point um, in our own holiness and in our trying to reach others for Christ um, where we're out, of, we're out of answers. So we have to realize we cannot manage it on our own. Okay? It's not about programs. It's not about changing things. It's not about um, changing what we do. Uh, it's, about, it's about who we are um, before Christ, um, before the Lord. And in fact, in many ways, we can, we can rejoice in that. The Lord moves when we cannot. So maybe he's not moving because we think we've got it under control. The Lord moves when we cannot. It's not about programs then, is it? It's about prayer and it's about being distressed. Let me, go, let me just come back to this. So can I ask you to make a, make a pattern for prayer? You know, have some kind of prayer pattern in your life. Um, you know, a prayer list. Um, things, things you intercede for. There's, there's, no, there's no magic formulas um, to intercession. It is just doing it. Um, and when you do it, the Lord answers. Put it into your programs, okay? So, lounge leaders, um, if you're here, I want you to use that WhatsApp for prayer. I want somebody to take hold of that um, and, and use that WhatsApp group to talk about prayer and to, and to pray for those kids. Because the prayer does things, but also prayer puts you in the right relationship with the people you're working with. What's the point of gathering people together um, if you're not going to pray persistently for them? Sorry. And then refuse to go backwards. Interestingly, you know, none of those two judges were the same, were they? God kept doing something new with somebody new. We're not trying to recreate something from the past. 
So before we left the Cotswolds, I had really interesting... I went with um, three or four other pastors. We had this little fraternal, and we went to see this guy who was getting fairly aged, and he was one of the guys who had been the instigators of Spring Harvest. Um, but I can't work out who he was, because it wasn't Clive Calvert, and I don't think it was Peter Meadows. Um, so I never knew his name, so that's probably so that I can never name drop it to you. Um, there you go. But we, we, we went, because the guy, he said, you know, this guy has a real ministry... In, in, in kind of prophecy, and, you know, he'll kind of uh, lay your soul bare to you. Um, and actually, he was too tired and old to do that on the day. But one of the things he said was that he thought that as, as the churches, that there was a wave, there has been a, a work of God, and it, it came up in the, in, in the 60s and in the 70s and the 80s, and then I guess probably 90s, starting to die back. And he said, we've settled that the church has, 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 uh, has gone from a real move of the Spirit to a charismatic style. And I think that's true. I think he's probably, I think he's probably right. That was, that was his. And he was a guy who'd lived through it. He was old enough to have lived through it. So we've accepted the style. We've taken the style and, and haven't realised that the wave, the wave is gone and, uh, and it's come through. Uh, and we need to see the next wave that's coming through behind us and pray for the next wave. You, when, if you're surfing, if you've missed a wave, um, you, you don't try to climb back up of it or paddle after it. It's gone. You, you have to look for the next one that's coming through. And we saw that, didn't we, in 1 Samuel. They, they got the ark out. They'd been defeated in battle. They didn't, say, they didn't go and seek the Lord in, in passion and in prayer. Um, what they did, they say, oh, oh, you remember last time, actually, we took the ark out, and that made it work, so let's take the ark out this time, it'll be okay. They, they, and obviously it wasn't. They, they repeat the pattern, but they don't seek the Lord. So what might a move of God look like? Um, let me just read to you Acts 2, 42, 47, which is, this is based on. Um, you, turn that up if you want. Let's just turn to, I'll give you a moment, turn to Acts 2. So at Acts, Jesus has said, wait until the Spirit comes upon you. Wait until there is power. There has been a move uh, of the Spirit. They've spoken in tongues. What's happened next? Peter stood up. There's been preaching. There's been a lot of preaching. There's been a long sermon um, from, from Peter. Um, people were cut to the heart. That's another move of the Holy Spirit or a continuing move of the Holy Spirit. They said, what should we do? They, he says, repent and be baptized. Um, and they've... Uh, received forgiveness and they've received the Holy Spirit um, and 3,000 people have, have joined the church and then they devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was, uh, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to any one who had need and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved and that's that okay 
So the work of the Spirit has come. You know, with, with signs and wonders, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? If, if a work of the Holy Spirit came in and, and it brought signs and wonders. When it's kind of, you know, when it's gone past its peak, there are things to organize and there are things to do. And this is what they do, um, driven by the Holy Spirit. They're devoted to teaching and to fellowship. And I think all most of those other things come under that fellowship, um, breaking of bread, prayer, meeting. Whatever the work of God, I, I don't know. And I think that's where the Lord's left me this week. I don't know what the Lord wants to do next, whether he wants to do kind of signs and wonders. That would be great. Well, what I really want to see the Lord is do something reviving. And so I think, I just want to suggest these three things which come out of this passage, which is whatever the Lord does, and whether it's, uh, and whether it's dramatic, um, or whether it's quiet, I would want these things to be left when the dust settles, in the same way that this is what's left when the dust settles at the end of Acts 2. I want to hear God speak. I really, really want to hear God speak. It's been a, it's been a blessing in my life in the last year or two of just walking with the Lord and him constantly speaking to me. It's really hard to... I think it was Bishop Ryle, I couldn't dig this, dig this out, I said it's, it's few Christians can hold a full cup with a steady hand. Um... You know, when you're walking in that sweet fellowship with the Lord, it's very hard to kind of um, keep it going. But the Lord's been very gracious to me. But I want to be a church where we hear God speak to us. And he has been speaking to us. It's been a lovely sense, I think, of the Lord being here on on a Sunday morning uh, and and speaking to us. What a blessing. So we don't want to be a church where the word of the Lord is rare, as as it was with Samuel. We We want to open the Bible and we want to hear God speak. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching because they wanted to understand uh, and they wanted to grow and they wanted to know. And you notice, I think as a church, we've got to a point where our programs are pretty good. It doesn't mean there's nothing that can be tweaked, nothing can be changed, but this is not about a change of program, this is about a change of culture. It's about being a church where people go to the Bible because they love to hear God speak. Just want that. I, I want that from the Lord. So it might impact your personal program. Um, and when you hear God speak, one of the lovely things about hearing God speak is you've got something to say to somebody else. So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, Paul says. Be thankful, let the message of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you. That's not you, personally, that's you, us, dwelling you richly as you teach and admonish one another um, with all psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to the Lord with gratitude in your hearts. So there's a culture change, don't we? we just, and, and it's there in bits. We want a culture change where, where we talk to one another about the word of the Lord and talk to one another about our, our spiritual lives. I heard secondhand a really interesting uh, story this week about one of our young people, and I've only heard, I, I won't tell you any, any more about it because uh, I've only heard a bit of it, but he was speaking to somebody and the, and the spirit came upon him in a kind of a rush, um, like it came upon Saul. I was reading that this week. Uh, and, and, and the spirit came upon him, and he could sense that the Lord was in him uh, in, in the speaking he was doing um, uh, to somebody else. We want the Lord to speak. 
So when we say we want to be a church in which God moves, that would be exciting, wouldn't it? Um, if we had a sense of the time that, you know, the Lord is, is speaking to us. And, and then in our fellowship, we're, we're speaking, speaking to one another. The other thing that happens, though, is, is, isn't it, is they, they have this amazing... They have this amazing fellowship, don't they? Do, do you not admit they had a really, they had a scary fellowship? Okay. Didn't they? If you're honest. Uh, they had a scary fellowship. Okay. How are we, gonna, how are we ever going to be a church that has that kind of scary fellowship? Um, only, only really when the Spirit um, shows us how much we're loved in Christ, I think. And so one of my favorite passages is Ephesians 3. Paul says, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its names. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Oh, Paul. There he goes again. Um, a love. I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Okay, Paul, you want us to know, but it just it kind of, it's more than knowing. Yeah, he's getting a bit mystical on us, but it's, but he wants us to know how much we're loved. It's a, it, and that, that's not knowledge. That can never just be knowledge. That can never be, you are loved in Christ. I read that on the paper. It's got to somehow, hasn't it? We want, it's got to impact. And that's one of the prayers I come back to. I pray that for you. Uh, I pray that for me. All the time I pray for quite a lot of people. But I want you to know this love that, that surpasses knowledge. I want to know more of this love that surpasses knowledge. So that, he says, you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You, you can't grow to fullness in Christ. You can't grow to your maximum, you know, to, to all that you could be in Christ unless you know in, in the deep places that, that you're loved by God. And, and this, kind of, this kind of scary fellowship, okay, shall we call it that, um, it's not going to happen unless, you know, work of the Spirit comes. And, um, and again, you know, we see it in parts. I'm not, I'm not saying we, we, we don't do anything. Uh, there is a lovely fellowship around the, around the church. But there's this kind of scary fellowship here to aspire to. And when the Lord moves in ways that move us beyond that. So we need comfort and correction together. You can't. You, you can't take the Lord's correction unless you know his comfort. Um, and the Lord's comfort is not for leaving you in the same place, it's for growing you in Christ. That's really clear. That's like good parenting, isn't it? Um, and again, it's not something you hold to yourself. Um, this is from Ephesians 4, and Paul goes on to tell people to speak truth in love to one another. Love flows out. And that way the community matures. Again, it's really interesting. You're going to have to talk to one another about your spiritual lives. I know you do, here and there, bits and pieces, but there's no growth. If you're not talking to somebody else about your Christian life, you're stuffed. <laughs> really. You're just pretending it and keeping it safe. 
tucked away. So there's a danger, isn't there, in churches? Most of us are introverts. About, what, 80% of us? And then there's a danger. I walked down with the river with Leslie uh, the other night, and I caught they were having a great time at Workings Men Club. Looked like really good fellowship. Please don't let them outstrip us in such things. We who have the Spirit of God. Perhaps more than either of those two, I want us to be a church in which, uh, through which God saves. I want to be a church that's used to reach other people for Christ. And Paul says it's like this. He says that the God of this age, that Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel. So Satan has blinded, that's, that's the human being's natural state, is blinded. So they can't see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So they can't see that Jesus is God. And what we preach is not ourselves, but it's Jesus Christ as Lord, he says. And God, who said, the same God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of, of Christ. So when you become a Christian, before you become a Christian, you're blind, you're in the dark. When you become a Christian, um, God does a work which is a little bit like his work at creation. He says, let light come, and he says, let light come, and you see that the face of Christ is, is actually the face of God. And you come to understand what he's done and, and, and put your trust in him. We need... So, it, if this saving work is like a, a work of creation, and it is, it is a work of new creation in which uh, God puts his spirit in us, it is not something we can do. It is not something we can work up. There has to be a sovereign work of the Lord. But we're not yet distressed enough about the fact that it's not happening. Sorry, did you get the red bit, those who are doing the... Um, <laughs> those who are doing the, bomb, the notes? What about Gifts. What about gift, gifts of the Spirit? Where, where does this come into this? I think it's true in times of revival that the supernatural gifts have been more, more prevalent, but I'm not entirely sure that's true. I, th- I think it's generally true, but it's not, not universally true. But if you seek, if, if you're seeking the gifts w- without seeking any of this other stuff, then you're on the wrong track. You've got it wrong. Um, you're seeking the wrong thing. We we want God to um, we want God to move, but you don't go to your father and say, "Oh, stuff you and your fuddy duddy values, stuff you and your lovey dovey everybody together." By the way, can you give me fifty quid? We don't approach God. So, come back to that. I'm just trying to work out how to say this and say it in the right order. 
So Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, uh, and, and the key passages of 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, um, Paul says, eagerly desire the, the greater gifts. Uh, and we take that as a kind of, a, a kind of carte blanche. Oh, we should be seeking the gifts. But what's happening here is this is a church that is already in revival. They've already been dispensed with a load of gifts um, and, and they all want to speak in tongues because they think speaking tongues is fantastic. Um, and Paul has to bring them down into order. And Paul says, look, look, guys, you know, seek the more useful gifts. Seek the gifts which build up your, your, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he says, but I will show you the most excellent way. And he says, I can speak in the tongues of men and angels, but if I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And we simply, I think we, at times we just don't take that seriously enough. If I have a gift of prophecy, which would be great, wouldn't it? And can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. It's, it's not I am less, it is I am nothing. If you have gifts w- without love... Um, You have nothing. You have nothing. You bring nothing. You, you give nothing. Because you're missing out on what the gifts are for and you're missing out on what the work is that we are doing. Which is, amongst other things, growing in community and maturity and witness to one the, and, uh, in Christ. So there is a really, there is an entirely wrong way then, isn't there, to seek the gifts? If if you are seeking the gifts, but you don't want to grow in this scary community, then you are nothing. Paul would say, according to what we said here. If I give all I possess to the poor and give of my body to hardship or to the flames that I might boast, but I don't have love, I, I am nothing. Nothing. So really interesting that the the key gifts passages come um, in the context of um, explanations of community. So 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 sit either side of 1 Corinthians 13, which is a famous love passage, which then gets read at weddings. Okay, which is okay. But actually, it's it's the center pin of of what these gifts are used for. So here is this thing we are doing, which is love, and, and, and that is what these gifts are for. And if you use them without love, they're useless, and you can be using them for stuff which is actually building yourself up. If you don't have love, I mean, I think this is the point, isn't it? So the gifts are always given in this context of, of character and, and community. And it's the same in Ephesians 4. Paul is, is talking about unity and community when he starts talking about, about gifts. So gifts without love are um, pointless. Okay? So we want God to move, yes. But if you're saying, well, that would... But if, what, if by, when you think, I want God to move, what, what you think is, oh, wouldn't it be great if, if the gifts came back like they did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you missed the boat. 
seeking the, seeking the wrong thing. So if you're looking for a, a, a gift, but it's not with love, well, what are you planning to do with that gift? Do you see? Think it through. It, 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 the danger is then it's just about self-promotion, isn't it? And gifts without character, again, are self-defeating. So go and read James 3, and he says, um, he, he, to the churches he's writing, he says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Well, we, we, we cannot go forward and say out of the same mouth comes um, you know, prophecy and gossip. It, it's just self-defeating, because the, the, the gifts are given for, for you to serve and to love and to build up. And they're given, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 1, they're given to enrich. And I think that's a really helpful word to kind of um, help us put them in context. So Paul says, thank God for you because of the grace you've got, 1 Corinthians 1, 4. You've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be, to be revealed. So the gifts are there for this um, enriching. So we have to be careful. So you, you suddenly, what do you, you know, the Lord comes upon you at some point and, and you have a word of knowledge and, and you share it um, in the morning service uh, or whatever it is. And then, you, and then you go away and you say, I'm a word of knowledgeer. Well, no, you're not. Um, you've, you've had a word of knowledge, and that's fantastic. Now, now go away and, and, and seek some more. But what is, what is the context in which you're using them? The point is, if you're a home group leader, or if you're in any kind of pastoral work, then a word of knowledge is a really helpful thing. That was another thing this guy said. Um, it cuts to the chase. Sometimes you've got pastoral things that you, in people's lives, you think, I've got no idea what's going on. Which point of word of knowledge is a really helpful thing. But you don't need to have, um, the, the rest of us don't, don't necessarily need to know about it. Um, uh, and it doesn't need to happen in a Sunday morning service. Um, it just happens and you use it. Or it might be a prophetic word. You think I need to, you know, which reminds me of something. Um, you maybe have a sense on, on your heart that, uh, you know, the Lord has a, has a warning for somebody. Well, just go and give it, you know, and don't come back and then say, I'm a prophet. You know, I, I, um, you are who you are. You're a, you're a home group leader. Um, you're, a, you're a worship leader. Um, you're a youth, you know, you're a young leader. Um, you're, you're a Sunday club leader. Just, just use them. And in fact, I'd be really surprised if those people who are doing those things don't at some point along the way have a sense of the Lord kind of speaking to them through scripture or, or whatever it might be. So it's already happening. Just, just ask for some more. I don't know whether this is important. I just tacked this in. The work of the Holy Spirit is kind of sacred, unfelt, unseen. When the Holy Spirit works, you can't actually feel the Holy Spirit working. But when he works, sometimes the effects of his working are things that you can feel. Theologically, that's important. It may not make any sense this morning. But you can't actually feel the Holy Spirit working. You can only feel what he does. In the same way that you can't see the wind, 
you can only see, see what it does. And the effects of that are powerful. He wants you to know that you're loved. That's, that's an effect, isn't it? He wants to kind of lift your heart in, in, in praise and just open your eyes to the, to the glory of the Lord. That's an effect, isn't it? But actually, the working of the Holy Spirit is, 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 an, is an unseen. His actual working is unseen and unfelt. But the things that he does, you can see. It's just a kind of reminder that we don't, it, it doesn't have to come with emotion. Let's move on. So really, to sum up, we, we want to be a church in, in which God moves. We want to be a church in which supernatural things happen. No change of program, but maybe a, a, a change in prayer, change in our level of d- distress about um, where we're at. We want to be a church in which God speaks, and then we can speak. Church in which people are transformed by God's love. A church in which people come to know Jesus for the first time.